Welcome to this edition of Cisco Champion Radio. Today we'll be talking about Cisco's latest data privacy report with Cisco subject matter experts, Michelle Dennity and Robert Waitman. Our Cisco Champion hosts today are David Penaloza and Darren Fulwell. As for me, I'm Brett Shore from the Cisco Champion program team, and I'll be playing the part of moderator. Okay, uh, Michelle, can you please introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. So my name's Michelle Dennity. I'm the Vice President and Chief Privacy Officer for Cisco. And I'm usually located somewhere on United, flying around the world, but based in San Jose, California. Great, thank you. Now, Robert, same thing. So I'm Robert Waitman. I'm Director in Data Privacy and Valuation on Michelle's team. Um, very uh, focused on getting this report research and analysis and published over the past few months. Great, thanks. Now, David, uh, tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. Uh, well, I work as a lead uh, network consulting unit for Verizon. And what we do is we offer services to our customers that manage when, manage when, manage LAN, depending on what is offered to them. We uh, contribute with design, implementation, um, like small projects, and, and anything that, well, the customer is able to request some pay, I guess. <laughs> Great, thanks. Now, Darren, over to you. What David said. <laughs> I, I, I'm a network architect. Um, I work for a, a partner in the UK, um, and yeah, just interested in all things networking and, and security, I guess, at the moment. So, uh, yeah, interested to, to hear what we've got to say today. Great, thanks. And you're both Cisco champions as well. Yes, yes. yes you can course. find us on Twitter. David Samuel PSN. Uh, Darren Fulwell, of course. But yeah, I'm sure we'll do the, the stuff yeah. later. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to our Cisco champion host to uh, ask the first questions. Okay, so I guess the first question would be, uh, because uh, we are right now in this era where the data privacy is all the time getting more and more important. So, first of all, what do we understand as data privacy and what is Cisco doing about it? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, so I'll start, and uh, when we get to the smart stuff, I'll hand it over to Robert. Um, so and then I'll hand it back to David. <laughs> I like that, and he'll hand it over to Darren. Yeah, I like the, the hot potato so game so here. See how it works? So data privacy, I think, is sometimes gets a, it, it's misrepresented. It's not secrecy. It's not secret facts or opinions about things. Data privacy really is the protection and the valuation of data stories, data about you, me, things that we observe about each other as human beings, metadata that shows and directs people to and from other human beings. So when we're talking about networks and data privacy and data protection on the enterprise level in particular, we're talking about privacy and security working together to achieve data outcomes that have high integrity, transparency, high ethics, and we're figuring out how to solve objectives without violating the human rights of our employees and customers. I was just going to say, so it's focused around the end user, if you like, the person whose data it is, making sure that everyone is doing everything they can to protect that information. I think the beginning, it was the focus was just that, and I think as you're, we're going to sort of do a reveal today with our, our business study and our benchmark study, the, the act of protecting individuals can be translated into value for an enterprise. Okay, cool. And, and so, I mean, yeah, uh, had, a, had a brief look through uh, some of the information that you're about to reveal, and I'm interested to know some of the technologies that would be useful in order to, to help with that, with, with that privacy. I mean, what, what are Cisco doing to help us? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. I, when you t look at what is privacy, what is data protection, and you talk about the technology, first you talk about the outcome. So the outcome is having this transparent, consent-driven type of environment. 
What Cisco does on the network is really think about a lot of different angles. One of the primary goals that you can do to show any regulator under the GDPR regime and others is how secure is your data? If you're collecting information, you have to be able to prove to regulators and to your customers and other partners that the data is actually secure. So if you look at our, secure, our security portfolio from end to end, where you're talking about things like Duo in a trusted authentication environment, where you're looking at things like the Talos research about what threats are actually threatening that data, those things that will protect your intellectual property data on a general basis, when you're thinking about the data about personally identifiable information about customers, employees, and other humans, all of those security techniques and platforms really do apply across the platform. So we have that piece of pure technology of securing. We also have things like segmentation. So if you look at what's going on in our 9K, you would think that a switch would not be particularly sexy to a privacy kind of gal. Let me tell you what, that thing is like, <laughs> smoking hot. If you think about titration added to the 9K capabilities where you're segmenting information from the time you collect it, now you've got a strategy for the IOT world. So when we talk about data protection and privacy, it's not simply at the, at the consent, do you have permission to share? It's not at the obfuscation of have you encrypted? It's all of those activities yeah. that you're doing across the network. How are you protecting, how are you projecting, and how are you proving that what you've done is actually supporting the efficacy of that information? Well, talking about how you do the things, right? Um, I have also another question, because we have, right now in the EU, we have GDPR, which is uh, which became just a... Uh, Means gosh darn privacy reg? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it became... Uh, it became a fact in May of last year. Then the question would be, what do we have on the other side of the world? We have right now in the EU, so what do we have in the US? And what are the differences? Because there must be a regional difference on how do we really enforce an, 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 an homogeneous uh, protection scheme, which is uh, going to work for, if we are a company that is, uh, is uh, globally uh, uh, diverse, then how are we going to apply this in different regions? Like, how, how complex this is, this is getting? It's right. very complex. So I'm going to start with kind of the, the basis of there are a, a number of different types of legislative schemas around the world. The U.S. is one of the last to fall to have a general federal bill, but we have sectoral bills for children, health, financial information, etc. But what we are finding, and I'm going to point to my colleague Robert Waveman to talk more about this, is GDPR, although it was promulgated here in the European theater, the impact of that regulation has truly been global. All right, it's one of the outcomes of the study that we just released uh, this week, and by the way, this was done in advance of International Data Privacy Day, which is today. So one of Cisco's roles is to share thoughts and findings and best practices with all of our customers and all the companies around the world on how to do things, um, what we find and where it's been effective in having privacy uh, support the business. Just as you're talking about how security is supporting privacy, so too privacy is supporting security as well. And some of our findings connect the fact that these investments that firms are making in privacy are translating into better security, into fewer data breaches, lower costs from data breaches, and we can talk about that in a bit. But just to answer this question around GDPR and the global nature is, 
even though this is a European regulation, what we found in the study is that 97% of the companies on a global basis, we surveyed over 3,200 companies around the world um, across all major continents and industries, said that they either are ready for GDPR or they're working to get ready. So only 3% of them said, no, nah, I don't care about GDPR, it doesn't apply to me. And I think that's remarkable to have a European regulation that was, again, designed uh, for companies and for residents of the EU, which has become essentially a global standard today, because every firm is doing it. Now, there are other privacy regulations in different parts of the world. They overlap a bit. They're not all exactly the same, and GDPR isn't perfect but they all have sort of some of the same flavor to it, so that you have the idea that at least we're approaching something of that kind of standard. Yeah, I was just going to say, what, so obviously the, the issue is that everyone who deals with a company in the EU needs to be conformant to GDPR, right? So that's why it's been taken as a global standard, I assume, so. Well, that's part of it, because okay. remember the 1995 directive that had to be promulgated across the European theater, they had a lot of those same protections. I think part of the reason everyone has straightened their spines a bit are the massive fines that were added on to the enforcement of GDPR, up to 4% of your revenue, not your profit, your revenue, oh, that's making that's, people that's sit up and pain. sing potatoes. Oh, it's huge. <laughs> this is another thing I had in mind, actually, because, uh, okay, right after the, the, the whole meeting, or the whole idea of, of trying to protect the data and all this stuff, most of the people, the person that they are thinking about it is just, let's avoid the fine. Yep. So then let's let's clear a state up to which extent uh, really the, the people is, is thinking about GDPR. It's just it's just avoiding a fine. Are we getting something else? I mean, do we only get the compliance, or there's something else we're waiting from it? I mean, there's a lot of regulations to follow, but what what is the collateral effect of this? What is the consequence of having these apply? If yeah. only there was a study. <laughs> if only there was a study of over 3,000 customers. And a report to go with it. I wish there was a study. Oh my oh, God, God, Robert. What a coincidence. What a great question. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah, we have something to surprise, say about that. Surprise. Well, <laughs> it, it really is a great question because it's the question that we asked, and we started when we started looking at this. Want to know exactly the answer to that? So companies are making huge investments, getting ready for GDPR, and other other privacy regulations, what benefit do they get beyond compliance? So our report is really about that, and, and what it, what it uh, finds is that these investments to get ready for GDPR allow companies to get their data house in order. I mean, it was kind of you know a mess of where things were stored and how they were protected and what data do we have, and what companies told us, you know, executives would say, this was really a pain to go through. But once I did it, I was glad I did it because it allowed me to do many things I couldn't do before. What we focus on in the study is a couple of things. One is that it allowed them to improve their sales cycles. So we noticed that um, customer questions about privacy were delaying sales. Uh, because those questions had to get answered before you could get to closing the deal. Um, and what we found is that companies have made that investment for GDPR or other privacy regs are doing that more quickly. So they're getting more throughput in their sales cycle. That's one. And the other big thing is that it's translating into security benefits. So those, again, getting your data house in order is allowing companies to know what data they have, how it's protected, how it should be protected, and therefore they're getting breached less. And when they are breached, the impact is much less. Companies that are ready for GDPR are seeing one-third the number of records that are impacted in the breach versus those that are not ready. Think about that's enormous. You know, if it's your data that's being potentially impacted and only a third of it of, as much as being uh, impacted in that, that means you've done a good job of getting your data house in order. So those are the kind of benefits you know, you're sort of asking about, not just about compliance, but about how does this translate into value that the business is getting from those investments. Stuff. I'm glad um, we have something to say, because otherwise your question would be like, I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> the timing of the question was good. 
Um, I, so again, it comes back really uh, from our particular perspective as being network guys, what that means, what, what can we do to help move that on and what, what changes do we need to make to the way we approach things? Yeah, um, rather, I mean, other than, because the first thing is we need to educate the users and we need to also educate the companies that you need to, you gather the information, then you use it for the purpose you need it and then you just get rid of it. Then, what else can yeah. we add on top of it, right? We have several techniques, specs and technology, but what are really these best practices and in which way we can just drive this, this digital, well, let's say, enhancement or, or, or just hardening, right? How can we just uh, you shield ourselves? You guys are talking ourselves? about enhancements and hardenings here? Okay, good. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about enhancements and hardening of your data center. Um, I think one of the things you can do to make your data harder, better, more, have a better trajectory, more impact, pulsing forward, you can actually look at investing actually in the, your data dorks. What we're, part of what we're seeing is going from a zero, which is an ad hoc security and privacy recovery schedule, to even a mid-level, a three out of five scale. So in the security and the privacy scales, we go zero is ad hoc, five is optimized. If you're spending that much, you're probably sitting at home at night crying with your cats. You're not being relevant. Three is usually like where that sweet hot spot is. And what you, we're finding is it has um, a connectivity of saying, are you training your network employees as well as the ones who are sitting in legal? Are your contracts up to date? Do you have a consistent policy? Once you have those business objectives in mind, now we can translate it into the technology. Rather than buying a whole garage full of stuff and throwing it at your network and hoping, oh, well, everyone else is using this, it must be good. If you're taking the approach we're suggesting, you're curating your data, you're treating it as an asset. Once you know where it needs to go and when it needs to get there, that's when you put that acceleration across the network. And as you've said, you know, we, we kind of all know that we need to delete our data. <laughs> How many of us are doing it? We're having like a little organization data hoarding moment. It's time to delete your data as well. And the themes Michelle is highlighting, again, borne out, is that we're still in very early days on all of this. So, you know, you think about something being so far advanced in the future, it's really not that way. Only 37% of the companies here have actually mapped out all of their data. I mean, so the first thing to do is to sort of, you know, get the data people, figure that out, and know where your data is. Then turn and protect it and curate it. So do that both for your own self to protect yourself, but also to enable the growth and innovation and agility that comes from having your data house in order. And then this final point around you know, treating your data as an asset, only 30% of companies today do any kind of monetization of their assets externally. So they don't yet know the value of the data that they have. And again, so we're just saying, you know, first figure out where everything is, protect it and curate it, and then start thinking about how you can even do more with what you've got. And I think that's, there's a long way to go on this. Again, one of the things we get to do is monitor this over time and talk about the value, but that's, that's the direction we're heading. Yeah, Part so, of so, when you're hardening your, yeah. your network for outcome, is you're really looking at not just selling, when he's saying 30% have even thought about what to do with their data assets, we're not talking about going into the advertising business and, and exploiting that in, in an unethical, probably immoral type of way. We're talking about figuring out how do you accelerate forward with, do you need to have a, a stronger mobility strategy? I think Verizon would probably say yes. Do you need to have a, a, a bigger back end and where should it be located? These kinds of business questions are answered in your network through the technology, through the business efficacy and studying the business impacts of your investments 
in things that seemed as prosaic and maybe sometimes boring. I can't imagine anyone thinking privacy is boring, but sometimes they do. But if you think <laughs> it's boring to invest in a really solid policy, I think you should relook at it and say, your privacy policy is your business plan for data. Your technology that you're putting across the network supports that business plan. If you don't have a direct correlation, you're yeah. not going to get those business impacts. This, this is why then we go back to what we were discussing before, right? When, when this was uh, the, the lack of compliance or the lack of following these rules what was driving a delay not only on the sales but also on the implementation. It's because then we need to understand what do we have in house, and then. Well, uh, discuss with whomever is our vendor or contractor because we need to agree, right? I have a policy which is valid inside my infrastructure. You have a policy in your infrastructure, and there's a, there's a middle ground that we're going to meet. So you provide services to me. So th this is so th that we can see here that then following all this, we we yeah certainly reduce the time not only for sales. So we're, we're getting another another advantage. So, so what else are we? getting from it because this this really sounds amazing not only avoiding the fine but there is more stuff to come right i think i think you're pointing out really the core reason that robert and i really geek out on this stuff is <laughs> it's hard for people to say avoiding a fine that might or might not happen is why I want to get up in the morning and do my job. Instead, what they want to figure out is, how am I really looking at data as an asset? And if I'm on the, on the tip of the profit sphere and I'm a sales guy and I've gotten to yes with my customer, and then I bring it back to corporate and I have last year an average of about eight weeks, 7.8 weeks of delay after I've gotten to yes, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not selling. I'm not getting implementation. That whole project is held up and you don't really know why, and you don't really know where you're going. This year, we got even better results for people that are GDPR ready for that sort of activity. Yeah, and the average was about half of what it was last year, which wow. reflects organizations have focused on this. This it's was a big that. year. We gave a lot going on. Expecting month. the question, already having the answer in your back pocket. We know it's, thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just amazing to see that even though uh, we still don't have even a complete year since GDPR became a, a fact, right? It became a rule to follow. Uh, the, the companies are still moving towards it. Yeah, we are still in a, let's say, let's say we're still in an initial phase. The people are still getting, well, getting used to it. They're still trying to understand because it's, it's really complex. It's, it's not just follow this and this. Not it really goes into the weeds and there are many details. But even though it's something quite new, people is already getting ready for it. So it, it's going to take a little bit more time, but we're just going to be there. In, in, well. <laughs> we still don't have a year and we are one third of the path is already there, so well, maybe one or two more years. So, but it's the difference. How many companies there are ready for, for GDPR this year and what about the next year? Right. I mean, and it is complex, you're right, that it's not a simple thing. I mean, the overall average was about 60% of the companies um, are ready for GDPR, including 70 to 80% of most countries in Europe. So there's still a fair number of companies that are still getting you know, ready for this. But it is a long and complex regulation. But I think the, you know, the idea you're saying is people are getting ready for this and we're moving towards more transparency and more simplicity in the way the firms share and, and describe their data. I mean, you know, think about you know, if you're buying a product and trying to know uh, where is the data, who uses it, how is it used, how is it captured, how long is it around, that's complex, you have to find that out, which is why transparency is so important. And Cisco, we try to do a good job of being out there with sharing our information, letting everyone know, if you want to buy this product, here's exactly how the data goes. I mean, we're not there yet, but we want to go, I'm looking at a Coke bottle here, we want to go to the point where you could pick up a product and you can look on it here. You know, it has a, has a label telling you exactly how many calories and how many things are in it. Um, you know, data should be the same way, that we have that nutrition label on our products, which makes it very easy for a potential buyer 
buyer to say, I know exactly what I'm getting, and I can choose to buy it or not choose to buy it. The same would apply for consumers, by the way. It's not just businesses, but a consumer who's trying to decide if I want to do that app or not do that app, and you have to read 15 pages of privacy policy, you know, you, you, you forget about it. But that should be simple enough to say, yeah, I'm okay with this or I'm not okay with this, and that will, again, make it a lot easier for people to make decisions about how their data is being used. So it's a long way to go. We got, we got a lot of work to do still. <laughs> well, if 60% of the companies are still ready, then they have a competitive <laughs> advantage, right? Exactly. They're just jumping ahead, yeah, yeah. because anybody's coming after it. Now, th this is actually a very good question. Do we have a date in which we must be ready for this? There is a like a great spirit. I, I'm really curious about it because I know uh, the companies that are getting there or uh, they are already ready for it, although it sounds redundant. But do, do we have in the law a, a great spirit for this? Do we have a, a, a date where if you're not ready this day, then, well, you're done, dude. I mean. <laughs> so we've passed that date. So May 25, oh 2018. <laughs> okay, no. We're <laughs> past it. So the law was actually passed two years before that, and we had a two-year grace period. So even though the folks that are largely compliant, it's pretty large number that still are, are not feeling entirely secure. Some of the reasons that they're citing for not being secure are things like security. We're not sure that our data is proportionately as secure as it needs to be to respect the risk level. Remember GDPR, one of its great innovations is that rather than being a statutory human rights only based law, now we're talking about risk mitigation. So you're expected to know where your data is through things like privacy by design and privacy impact assessments, and you're supposed to be able to mitigate those risks with things like cybersecurity, better policy, better awareness, and those are the things that they gave us two years to get ready, but you can see we're based on there. the complexity, people <laughs> are still working still it through. Yeah. Which, you know what, I'm a girl in technology, I smell opportunity. This is a time that customers really need us most. They need to look at what they have and maximize it and figure out are there holes in authentication, in compartmentalization, in their cloud strategy as yeah, well. I, I have seen uh, uh, a whole movement behind this. I mean, we, we have one of the champions, uh, Zoe Rose, yeah. and she's a cybersecurity professional, yeah. and she's always, uh, well, She's pretty much lecturing us all the time. You need to do this or that. Don't, <laughs> don't that. go there. Don't, no, no, she's <laughs> awesome. But she's really behind all this with the champions all the time, trying to educate us on this because, okay, let's let's be honest. Some people, it's more about technology and routing and switches and stuff, and then you're like, oh, well, admin, admin would work for now. And then, ah, no, dude, don't go there. <laughs> so um, what I am able to see is that there's also a culture, there's a movement going behind it. It's not anymore, we need just to put this because it's the best practice. It's right now there's a, there's, there's a conscious, there's people thinking about it like, okay, let's, let's just, just not try to follow the best practice, let's also, Try then to, uh, as, as uh, she mentioned, to mitigate it. How do we prevent this from happening? It's not. It's not just copy pasting what I have in the best practices. Why I'm doing it and why is this going to be beneficial for me? There's a now there's a culture behind it, and and I seen I I am seeing apologies that this is getting into another level right now. Absolutely. It's 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 you know it's attacking from another angle. It's not just follow this. It's like do you know what you're doing? Why are you doing it? There's there's something else going. Yeah, I think people are. People are, as individuals are, are understanding the, um, what they need to do and, and how they need to approach that privacy and the things they need to demand of the people they're uh, procuring services from. I think that's, a, that's a, or an awareness thing that's only really come through 
um, since GDPR and since the, 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 the publicity, I suppose. Um, I mean, where, where do we go from here? I mean, what, what more needs to be done? What's our next step now? Well, well, a few things. First, privacy law is changing and evolving. You know, we're talking about a possible federal privacy law in the U.S. Um, California passed a law that went from draft to bill in a week, um, just, wow. just six months ago for all sorts of reasons. But so I think the, the regulations are evolving and people have to stay up with that. But I think this overall movement toward transparency and simplicity is what we're looking at. So firms getting ready with their own data and being able to take advantage of it is great. Finally moving to that area where they treat their data as an asset, which is a subject of more research and what firms should be thinking about. So I think there's, again, still a long way to go on this and the business value will continue to monitor and you know, look for those opportunities. Yep. Well, this is, this is just awesome, right? Because uh, as a last point, uh, it's quite important for the people also to let them know and to remind them that it's not only, I mean, they're seeing the data as an asset, you need them to understand that this is something which is yours and you need to take care of it. It's not anymore just, okay, I'm just, I don't know, joe at gmail.com, whatever the mail, it's that, okay, right now this is my identity, this is who I am and this is what is worth it. It's not, it's not about, this is the price of these devices, the other thing, it's, it's about the, the value of this information because anyway, this is you. Right, so as a reminder to everybody listening, the data, you need to take your data as an asset, you need to value as, as important as it is, and well, just keep yourself secure. Try to follow all the guidelines and well, get ready for it because it's coming. Oh, it's already here actually. We're two years late, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, it's not too late though. Oh well, we have keep working. Of, we have lots of resources too, so you know, when you say you know, what's coming, what's next, um, on every level, as you've said, it's a brand level concern. The boards of directors need financial models like our business study, and we're, pro we're providing that to what we call the suits. When we talk, we talk to everyone who's turning a wrench, our technology teams, we are offering a privacy engineering workshop so people can understand how to take these policies that sound foo-foo, fluffy, and turn them <laughs> into real requirements so that they're built into an agile, a DevSecOps environment, or a waterfall. It doesn't matter how you want to develop, not just start at the beginning and have a little conversation with your lawyer and think you're done. We're actually translating notice, choice, proportionality, minimization, security, into concrete requirements throughout the dev cycle. That's going to be an important trend that's going to differentiate, differentiate you today and eventually set you up for success tomorrow. And finally, the, the last piece of thing that we're really excited about, I won't go into detail, but we're <laughs> launching today, also on, on International Privacy Day, International something that we're calling the, the London subway maps of our, our Cisco products. We've got about 20 of our products, mm -hmm. and it, imagine, if you will, the London Underground. In your mind, you can picture the map immediately, a white background with brightly colored things, and you can see immediately what the Piccadilly line is versus Green Park. Wow. For our maps, for our products, you go to trust.cisco.com, you will find Meraki there and you'll say what data goes to the customer, what goes to Cisco, what goes to third party, what countries are involved, all on one infographic sheet. So if you want to roll out and figure out what your data center looks like, you've got your who, why, when, and where, and you can get on your map and get to your destination on time, under budget, killing it. Oh, this is what killing I would call it. dissection. Killing this is it. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it. Oh, and you can listen to the Privacy Sigma Writers. We'll be talking about it there too. We have a podcast as well. Okay. 
Amazing. So, what, what's the URL for that? How do we find it? Um, you can find it on trust.cisco.com, but also Apple, Google Play, SoundCloud, any of your preferred platforms. It's called the Privacy Sigma Writers. I am your faithful hostess. Oh, we drop every other Tuesday. You got on your follow it already. Here Yay. I am. So, so if you enjoyed the topics today, you can go very deep on a oh, lot wait, of different areas on, on, on those uh, podcasts. I love it. No, I, I, see, I, I love this, this, this passion. She's like, yes, more, let's do it. I mean, it's like this emotion. <laughs> You right. only have seen the tip of the Waitman iceberg. There's passion. See, cybersecurity is fun. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you for joining us today, especially Michelle and Robert uh, for sharing their insight, and to uh, David and Darren for hosting today's session. As always, thank you to everyone for participating in Cisco Champion Radio. Look for this episode and other episodes on iTunes and on cisco.com slash go slash CCR. Until next time.